God, we just give you the honor and the glory today, Lord. I thank you that we do stand undefeated, Lord, that the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places with you, that, Lord, as you sit at the right hand of the Father, we are already placed there when we accept you, God, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that, God, one day when you open up the book of life and you look down and you see our name there, you'll say, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servants. Lord, and I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity, not just for that day, but for the opportunity we get every day of our lives to add names to that book, to share with others the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that others can stand undefeated. Lord, they can stand as conquerors in the battlefield of their mind with the emotions that they fight, with the thoughts that they think, that, Lord, we can stand victorious over all of this. God, as we turn towards you, as we march towards you every day of our life, every minute of our life, Lord, that we would think on your thoughts and we would yes. think on your word and we would think on your Psalms, Lord, and on your Proverbs and on the Gospels, God, that we would meditate on your word day and night to look more and more, and more like the image of Jesus. Yes, Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. And... Um, Thanks. So I just want to recap real quick. If you, weren't, um, if you weren't here last week, we talked about, as we go through the armor found in Ephesians chapter 6, if you guys like, want to get ahead of me, feel free to read Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 11, and just read through the end of the chapter. And you can get ahead of me. You can learn more and more. Um, about what God has to say about our spiritual armor. One of the things that I said last week that I just want to point out again, you know, I hear a lot of Christians say, okay, well, I'm going to wake up this morning and put on my armor. The armor, like, never comes off, okay? Like, you sleep in it, right? This is, this is part of who you are. And as Paul is writing this, he's envisioning the Roman soldier, and he's thinking he's going through all of the weapons and all of the uh, defense mechanisms in the armor. And so he begins to kind of walk through them. And what we're going to see today is that there's a lot you lose the further away you get from that time period. And just imagine if we were, if Paul was alive today, or if you were writing a gospel, right, you were writing the Bible and you wanted to compare you wanted to compare our spiritual warfare and our spiritual battle with a physical battle, you would start, you, you might say something like this. You might say, yes, and the taser is, you know, you fill in the blank. Now, you write the taser is, and you, let's go forward in time 2,000 years from now, and they're going to go, electricity by wires, Right? It's, they're not going like, to fully comprehend everything, right? But you and I, sitting here today, would obviously know. This is what's happened as we start going through spiritual armor. This is what's happened to us in 2,000 years is because we're so far removed from it, we don't comprehend everything that's being said. And so hopefully today I can pull back the curtain a little bit on what we're going to cover today, which is the breastplate of righteousness and how important it was Etc. So if we go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, Ephesians 6, 14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth. And we talked about that last week, right? The belt of truth is what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist. Okay, this is the logos. 
There's two Greek words here, logos, L-O-G-O-S. Logos is the written word of God. So your Bible is the belt of truth. Everything that we believe and everything that we do in the Christian world hinges on Scripture. That is the belt of truth, right? And we talked about the, the sword is attached to it, the shield is attached to it, the lance, the lance is attached to it, the breastplate is attached to it. It holds everything together, right? And then he goes on and he says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And that's where we're going to stop. We're going to talk about this breastplate of righteousness, this idea that we are in right standing with God. Is that you guys with me this morning? That you, when you accept Christ and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And you say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And you set your wants, your desires aside so you can begin to follow Jesus's. You are now in right standing with God. And the only way that you're able to do that is because of Jesus's life his death, his burial, and his resurrection to give us the power to be able to live the life that he's called us to. God is not some mean God up there saying, okay, now do this, but I'm not going to give you any ability or any power to do it. That would just be ridiculous. And, and most of us in here as parents, you would never ask your kid without either seeing the ability in them to do it or preparing them for it, right? That's just cruel. And one thing we know about God is he's not a cruel God. So he goes, not only am I going to call you into right standing with me, but I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to show you the means and the method to be in right standing with me if you want it. And so he gives us this breastplate of righteousness. Now, a Roman soldier, this breastplate might be, it might be adorned with an insignia. Uh, it might be flat. It might not have any insignia on it at all. It was either made of brass or some sort of metal. And they would spend their off time shining it, right? Making it shine. They would take other pieces of metal and they would bump up against it to get all of, you know, if it started to rust, uh, they would get the rust out of it. If it started to show wear and tear, they would start getting that all hammered out. And they would make it as shiny as possible, make it as brilliant as possible. They would work it over and over and over, which tells me something, that our righteousness in Christ needs to be worked out. We have to work it out. This isn't something, well, I'm right standing with Jesus, so he, he died for me and I believe in it, so I'm good to go. This is a they would do this daily to make sure that their breastplate was shiny, that they would work, we work out we work this out every day in our relationship with Jesus and our prayer life and our scripture reading. And, and we'll see here in a bit that when the enemy comes at us, we have something to defend ourselves, right? Because the breastplate guards what? Your heart, your lungs, center mass, right? It guards the important organs here. And it says, hey, you can't get to this. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have my heart. And what's my heart? Your heart is the intersection of your emotions, your intellect, and your physical action. Where those three things intersect, that's your heart. Let me explain this. You have a feeling or an emotion, right? And some people just act on their feelings and act on their emotions without any giving any thought to it. Does anybody know anybody like that? Don't look at your spouse or nothing like that. Stop that. Don't look at your kids. Right? And you just, they just act. They just act out of emotion. And that's usually get, does anybody, anybody get in trouble? Anybody ever done that and gotten in trouble? Yes. Yes. Tori 
is the only one that's willing to be honest in here. Thank you. The rest of you are lying in church. Be at the altar at the end of service. And so, and then there are others, people that go to the other end of the spectrum, and they're intellectual. Everything has to be thought out. And I'm super smart, right? And there's no feeling or emotion, and I just turn my emotions off. Well, that's ridiculous, right? We all know people like that too, don't we? You're like, do you have any emotion at all? Or are you just a robot? So, and then we act. We, we, either our thought or our emotions cause our physical body to act. And what we're told to do in Scripture is to guard that intersection, right? So that there is emotion, there's intellect, I've thought through things. Let me, let me give you a prime example of how this works. People who are in marketing and sales understand this. They just don't call it the heart. You ever been up late? You've been eating a big old bowl of ice cream. You don't want to go to bed. Either you don't want the day to end or you don't want tomorrow to come, whichever your excuse is. And you're up late and you're just binging and you flip through the channels. Remember back in the day when we used to flip through channels and not just go right to what we want, right? And they show the poor little kitten. That's, see, look at y'all emotional people. Those are the emotional people that act just out of emotion, right? The ones that didn't say, ah, oh, you're the intellectual kind. So we just crossed that Red Sea right there. So, and what do they do? They play like this music in the background. They show you the poor kitty that's freezing and is all curled. See, there's an emotion. Emotional people just can't help themselves, all right? They just go. And what are they doing? They're playing on your emotions, Right? But they can't just play on the emotions. They have to get the intellectual people. So then they get your intellect. For only a dollar a day, you can save 20 million kittens. <laughs> and you'll be okay. Now, what are they doing? They're playing to your intellect. They've got you emotionally. Now they're playing to your intellect. So that when your emotions and your intellect cross and get on the same plane, you will physically react by picking up the phone, pulling out the card, and a year later going, what have I done? Because then they'll want you to buy shirts and bags to save the kittens. And Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it, it, that is the intersection of the heart. When your emotions and your intellect get on the same page and then you react physically... Okay, that is, that is the heart. And what we have to do is guard that thing. And what we're going to find out is that the breastplate of righteousness guards this decision-making. Because then I don't need to buy that to associate with those people. I don't need that app to associate with those people. I don't need that because why? Because I'm in right standing with God, and that is my identity. And every, anything that does not align with that identity, I have to get rid of. No matter how much is ingrained in me, it goes because this is my identity. What's my identity? That cross around your neck, that death, that bloody, gory, nasty death that the Bible says that when he hung on the cross, he didn't even look human. He wasn't even, rec he wasn't even recognizable as a human when he hung there. How beat does somebody have to be? to be unrecognizable as a human. But then to go, come back and go, hey guys, look, I beat this. I'm back. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Oh, and guess what? They'll all know you by your love and your love for one another. That's 
right standing. And when you pour yourself into that, God says, okay, now because of all of this and you've poured yourself into this, now you're in right standing. So now anything else you identify with and anything else you connect yourself to is not eternal. It's passing. Right? And the the Bible tells us, as, as you think about this, as they would work and they would shine this, this breastplate, as they would shine it and make it brighter and brighter, Proverbs tells us in 4.18, Proverb you can just write it down. Proverbs tells us that our righteousness shines brighter and brighter and brighter until the coming of the full day. And when's the, when's the full day? When we stand before Christ. And the psalmist says in in 418, that our righteousness should shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. We should, look, it, it's one thing to make the team. It's another thing to be the seventh guy on the bench. But it's a whole different ball game when you're one of the starting five. And this is the, this is the idea is that I progr- I've made the team, I'm in. But that's not the issue. The issue is that my righteousness and looking more and more and more like Jesus would move me up the bench, so to speak, right? That one day, that one day, I can stand before God and God goes, man, you are awesome out there. You laid it all on the line. You, you left skin on the floor. You did everything that I needed you to do. Congratulations. And the people look around and they see that. And it shines. Right? Righteousness in God will make you stand out on the battlefield of culture. Righteousness in God will make you stand out on the battlefield of culture. Right? Think about this. Romans would march in legions. How big is a legion? 6,000. What happens if I've got 6,000 people marching towards me with a, with a breastplate where the, where, the, where the sun is reflecting off of it. And I've got 6,000 of them marching. That's pretty bright, isn't it? That's really bright. It's really bright. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 1 verse, or John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 5, he says that the light shone into the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. This happened to me this morning. Maybe it happened to you too. Get up out of bed, everything's dark, go in the bathroom, hit the light switch. Ah! Like, we all do it to ourselves. We know it's coming, right? Like, sometimes I'll just close my eyes and turn the light switch on. Like, oh, slowly open your eyes, try to adjust. That's what John 1.5 is. It says that the light is so bright that when it shines into the darkness, that the people of this world, the people that think the way our culture wants them to think, and the people that think the way the world wants them to think, they look at us and they can't comprehend it. They can't comprehend the gospel. They can't comprehend the way of Jesus. They don't understand it. It makes no sense. They look at you. Why do you get up and go to this place and sit and listen to somebody tell you how to live for an hour? When they don't get it, they won't until they believe. So we think seeing is believing, and it's not. Believing is seeing. And once you start believing, you begin to see it. You're like, well, I have to see it before I'm going to believe it. Well, then you'll never believe it. Because so much of the spiritual world is backwards from our physical world. So when John says, and he writes in his gospel, that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it, it, conf- it literally means it confuses them. 
What are you doing? This doesn't matter. Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you act that way? Why won't you go to that movie? Why won't you listen to this? Why won't you do this? Why are you doing that? Why do you say those things? Why do you act like that? Righteousness. I'm in right standing with God. That's my identity. And everything else has to fall in line with that or get out of my life. And so then suddenly things, you begin to see things differently. You begin to approach things differently. You begin to think about things differently. But here's the thing. You're going to be attacked. Paul makes that very clear. In Ephesians 6.11, we can just write that down. We've covered that already. But in Ephesians 6.11, it says that the devil looks, looks at you. And the word devil there is the Greek word diablo. D-I-A-B-L-O. Diablo. And it literally means the accuser. The one who accuses. And it really paints the picture of somebody coming up. Are you ready for this? And just. Yeah, Stephanie's like, would you stop it? That's Diablo. He just comes up and. He will just continue to pound away, pound away, pound away, pound away, pound away, pound away, until you're just like, stop it, I can't take it anymore. What happens when you have nothing to guard your heart, your mind, and your emotions, and your intellect? What happens when you have nothing to guard that stuff? You think eventually he taps through? You think eventually he gets into your mind, your thoughts, and your emotions, and begins to control you with them? Absolutely he does. But if I'm in right standing with God, you can tap all you want. I know who I am. The breastplate of righteousness is all about identity. All about identity. And when you understand who you are in Christ, and I'm in right standing, I don't care what you say or what you do. I don't care if I live in a communist country. I don't care if I live in a capitalistic society. I don't care where I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. This is what infuriates dictators because they can't get to Christians in those countries because they don't understand them. They don't comprehend them. This is why when you talk about moralistic capitalism, someone who is a capitalist but without the sense of morality behind it won't ever understand a moral capitalist with a sense of morality and ethics in their capitalism. They'll never understand. They'll just live their capitalism out of greed and climb a ladder and push people out of the way and do what they need to do to get ahead. But someone who's a moral capitalist will say, no, we're not going to do that. It's not the right thing to do. We're going to make sure our quality is there, and we're going to love and care for people with the money that we make. Totally different styles of capitalism. I don't have time to dive into that. That wasn't even in my notes. That was just extra. right? There are different methods of capitalism. We have to stop and think about that our identity in Christ defines everything about us. And so when we have things in our lives that don't line up with the, that identity, we have to say, look, this isn't the problem. This is the problem. And the enemy will come along and just peck, 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 until you can no longer take it and you just give in. Right? He'll say things like, maybe you've heard this. You're not a believer, you're not a believer, you're not a believer. You can't be a believer. I can't believe you're a believer and you flip that person off. You can't be a believer, you cussed. You can't be a believer, you watch that show. You can't be a believer because you have these feelings. You can't be a believer because. Anybody ever heard anything like that in your head? Yeah. Okay, tell the enemy to shut up. Yeah. That's not you. Yeah. 
You know who you are. That is a direct from the enemy. You are not, okay, it may not be Satan yourself because I don't think anybody in this room is big enough. I don't think Satan's coming after any of us personally. But those are demonic hordes coming after your thought life. That's what you're dealing with. And how did Jesus fend off Satan in the wilderness? Every time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. This is why we have to know this. We have to look at those demonic forces and say, it is written, it is written, it is written. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I am the head and not the tail. I am more than a conqueror. My feelings and my emotions will line up to the word of God. I am this, not whatever the garbage is you're feeding me. And the more you know that, the more you can fend it off. And the more quieter it gets over time because guess what? Remember back in the old day when we had to take the phone off the hook if you want anybody to call you? You took the phone off the hook. You said, yeah, you're not calling me on that line anymore. Right? You take the phone off the hook. For all you young people, just Google phone off the hook. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so other things that Jesus stuff is made up. Well, you know, we've only really got two, two archaeological finds that, that really indicate that there were ever cru Roman crucifixions. And so how do you really know that Jesus was ever crucified and blah, 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 blah. And it'll go on and on and on and on and on and on, right? It'll go on and on. He'll, he'll just, he'll keep going and say things. Well, how do you really know? How do you really know? How do you know Jesus really thought that? How do you know? How do you know, how do you know? And if you have no identity in Christ, guess what happens? That gets through to your heart, that gets through to your emotions, that gets through to the way you think, and then that produces how you respond physically into the world. You have to understand something. We are designed, we are designed with our spirits being as saved and as connected to Christ as we will ever get, whether we're here or whether we're in heaven or wherever we are, you get a download from the Holy Spirit. Your soul and your mind and psyche then process, okay, what does that look like in, in the physical world? And then you carry that out physically. That's how we're designed to work. Download from God, think through it, process it. Okay, what does that look like? And then act on it. And that's how we literally bring an unseen heaven into a physical dimension. That's how we're designed. But instead, we allow everything to come from the physical world into our brains, think on it, blah, 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 blah. And our spirits never get touched. Because the spirit's going, wait, 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 wait. And if you haven't accepted Jesus and you're not following Jesus, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in you to push back on the world. You'll just accept it. You just believe it. How about other things like you're not good enough, you're dumb, this is really who you are, you have the right to be happy. Oh, snap. I had to go mess with the Constitution. Look. Do you know where the right to be happy comes from? It actually comes from about three or 400 year, years ago in the Renaissance period. It was a thought that came across in the Renaissance period. If you would have went back to the original church in the book of Acts and said, well, God, went, God gives you the right to be happy, the original church would have looked, laughed you right out of the house they were meeting in. Like, what are you talking about? Right? God wants me happy. No, God wants you in the image of Jesus. Sometimes that doesn't make you happy. <laughs> right like when you're waiting in line and you have to like keep waiting and waiting and work patience oh yeah you pray here's the thing quit praying for patience you have them it needs to work quit praying for faith you have faith it needs to be worked quit praying for love you have love it needs to be worked these things are like muscles you have to grow them you have to work them to grow them 
You have them. Now, in that moment, you may not have enough patience to endure what you're enduring, but that thing is causing your patience to grow. It's causing your faith to grow. It's causing your endurance. Do you know endurance is a fruit of the Spirit? The ability to endure hard times is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, how in the world, if God just wants you happy, are you going to grow endurance? Endurance is a fruit of... I don't see happiness as a fruit of the Spirit anywhere in Galatians. Oh, man, this is tough, preacher. Why did I... I knew I should have just stayed home and got ready for the next round of the NCAA games. (laughs) Right? See, I knew some of you were thinking that, like, I could just stay home and get the wings ready and get everything ready to watch the games. All right. Anyway, I'll stop there. Right? But through the cross of Christ, we are in right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, just write it down. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And when we understand that we're the righteousness of God in Christ, we can handle anything that comes at us. I'm in Christ. He beat death. He beat Satan one-on-one out in the desert. What, whatever thoughts these little demonic forces try to whisper into your head, what in the world are they going to do? Their boss couldn't beat our boss, and we're on the winning side. You just got to know this so that when it comes at you, you can push back and say, no, I'm not thinking that way. I'm not going to think about that. The Bible says it is written, and then you spout scripture, right? And then let me just give you some other verses in regards to your identity in righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Romans 1, 17, Psalm 5, 8, Psalm 5, 8, Matthew 6, 33, Matthew 6, 33, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. I tell you, man, those guys at the computer bail me out every Sunday. They're awesome. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right, those are some other scriptures. You can get them afterwards. But that should boost our confidence. You know, when these Roman soldiers are shining their breastplate and they're shining that up and making that shiny so they can march out to war and fight, this is what they were told when they enlisted. Are you ready for this? This is what they were told. You can dig around. We've got plenty of archaeological findings. This is what they were told. It would be better for you to die on the battlefield than to come back here and tell us that the enemy won. So don't return to our encampment until the enemy has been annihilated. Make sure you come home a winner or don't come home at all. This is what they were told when the Roman army was marching. You either win or you don't come home. We don't accept defeat. Now, if I'm a Christian and I'm hearing Paul compare me to a Roman soldier, listen, I don't accept defeat. I march out. I don't accept defeat. Defeat is not okay with me. I'm a victor. I win every time. I don't have time to mess around with losing. And I don't have time for woe is me. I ain't got time for that. Right? We don't have time to mess around with, oh, I'm a loser. No, you're not a loser. Stop. That's the enemy. That's the devil playing mind games with you. Right? This impacted their mentality when they went to war. If you knew that you had to go to war and you were not allowed to come home if you, if you didn't win, would you think you'd be busting your butt every day to make sure that you were the best at hand-to-hand combat, 
combat, best at spear, best at sword, best at whatever. Don't you think you'd be like, well, I got to win. I better get after it, right? Prior to the Roman army and the Roman empire, there was this other empire, empire called the Greek empire, and they had these people called the Trojans, right? And you know what they did with them? If you couldn't make the elite Trojan, they just threw you off a cliff, like, you're not cutting it. You couldn't do 100 push-ups. About 20 guys would pick you up and chuck you off the cliff. You're done. You get no chance to go back to society because you're a loser because you didn't do 100 push-ups. <laughs> you just, you're like, that really happened? Oh, please. That, that's, that's child's play compared to what they used to do. Listen, winning is your only option. And through Christ, you will win every time. And you will go home a victor. But it only happens if you're guarding this because the Diablo is going to come and he's just going to keep pecking away at your thoughts and your emotions and your mind. And unless you know who you are, you'll give in to it. This is why it's so, so important. Rick Ritter, in, in his book, Dress to Kill, which is the basis for this series, he says, your mental attitude has everything to do with how well you perform in the midst of the fight. Your mental attitude has everything to do with how well you perform in the midst of the fight. Think about that. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. So as my sons say, that means you still have another 20 minutes to go. I say that at home. Like, every time you say you wrap up, it's like 20 minutes. All right. Anyway, righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, is both a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. See, I, I, I grew up hearing, well, the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon that a Christian has. You've just shown your ignorance in Scripture, and you've just shown your ignorance in understanding the Roman soldier. So, I was once a part of your camp, now I shall enlighten you. <laughs> that was horribly arrogant, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right? Because we think of the sword and that's it. So I'm going to talk about the offensive weapon and how the breastplate was an offensive weapon. I'm going to talk about it after a first defensive weapon. It was first a defensive weapon to protect your heart and protect everything, right? And Isaiah 51, 7 and 8 says this. Isaiah 51, verse 7 and 8 says, Hear me, you who know what is right. You people who have taken my instruction to heart, do not fear the... Re uh, the reproach of mere mortals, or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. Do you know how a worm eats through the dirt? A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. But he says, your righteousness will endure forever. And it's still the same picture. This constant just... A little bit at a time, the devil just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, going at your heart, going at your emotions and your intellect, where that intersection is, going after it just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And he acts like a worm. But Isaiah says, my righteousness will last forever and my salvation will last through all generations. You cannot get to me and my decision maker. You cannot get to me and my identity because I know who I am. You will not, you can, you can eat away a little bit, a little bit, and it won't matter. Righteousness is forever and ever, from generation to generation, and it, it protects against the slow-eating worms and moths. That's your defense. 
Now, the breastplate as an offensive weapon. This is where I totally blew my mind this week as I was studying. Remember what I said early on that they would shine their breastplate every day? Every day they would shine that thing with other metals, with other tools. They would make that thing as shiny as they possibly can. And you would think that it's, oh, well, they have to stand attention in line and get inspected. They want to look good. That's like the smallest part of that. What happens, like I said earlier, what, what do you think happens when you have 6,000 men marching towards you? When the Romans would fight, the Romans would always fight into the sun. They would position themselves, not always, but most of the time, they would position themselves so that they were marching into the sun and the sun was at their enemy's back. What do you think happens when you've got 6,000, 12,000 Increments of six, right? 18,000, 24,000. What do you think happens when you've got 24,000 men? They unrobe and the light reflects and hits the enemy. It's blinding. This was an intentional battle strategy of the Roman Empire. So when Paul writes that, that the real righteousness is a breastplate, what do you think then John writes that the light shone into the darkness and the darkness couldn't comprehend it? And then they would march over their enemies because they would initially just blind them right out of the gate. Just like when you flipped that light switch on, this is exactly, they would march, they would march, they would march, and then, boom. and 24,000, 6,000 men, the light coming down would hit and blind the enemy. When you know who you are, it confuses and blinds the enemy. He's like, I can't get to them. It's confusing. And they would annihilate their enemies with this tactic. And everybody says, oh, my breastplate defends me. It def yes, it does defend you. But it's also an offensive weapon that when you're marching into Jesus and looking more and more like the Son of God, it blinds the enemy more and more and more. It confuses him more and more and more. He's like, I can't get to them. It's frustrating. And you will win the battle. But you have to keep marching towards the sun. If you were to attack a Roman soldier coming at him, he would quickly position himself facing the sun and blind you and then take you out. This was an intentional tactic that if they could pull it off, they would pull it off. They did it, um, they did it when they were fighting the Celts in 360 BC. They did it when they were fighting the Greeks in 216 BC. The righteousness will make you noticeable in a dark world. When you know you're in right standing with God and nothing can get to you and you're sure of that, you will, you will be noticed in a world that is full of darkness. Your righteousness blinds the enemy. The closer you walk towards the light, as I said before, the closer you walk towards the light of God, your righteousness gets brighter and brighter and brighter. People will call you all sorts of names because they can't comprehend it. Listen, people fear what they don't know. And if they don't understand your God and they don't understand your righteousness and they don't understand your love and your faith and your trustworthiness, they don't understand your identity, they fear you. And so what's the only thing left? Degrade you, push you aside. They don't comprehend it. I was just listening to a podcast this week, Wall Builders. If you get a chance, listen to Wall Builders. But... They were talking about 
when you go to Hollywood and you mention Christian, the first thing they think of is a political party, a piece of a political party. They can't comprehend it. They have no comprehension that, no, we're not a part of any. There, there's, there's points on the left and points on the right and points everywhere else that are Christian, right? There's points on all sides that are Christian. We're not really affiliated with any particular party. Because if you go through the Bible, you're like, well, they stand for that, but they stand for that. They stand for this. this. Because why? Because we're not of this world. One day our king is coming back to overthrow governments. And put, he's going to put us in charge of this planet. So you're like, yeah, <laughs> I'll show them. No, you won't. Because <laughs> your king will quickly sit on you. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that the more you march into the sun and march, into, march towards Jesus, your light is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's going to confuse. The more you look like Jesus, the more confusing you get to the world. The world couldn't comprehend him. They won't comprehend you. But if you begin to march towards Jesus and look like Jesus, one day when you get home, he will say, yep, your name's here. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I want to encourage you as you walk out of this place today and you work on your breastplate of righteousness and you shine that thing up and you work on looking more like Jesus. It only solidifies your identity. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, as we stand here and consider this spiritual battle that for most of us, we will never face the crazy, crazy stuff that they make movies out of. But for most of us in this room, the spiritual battle is in our heads. It's in our emotions. It's in our desires and in our wills. Lord, help us to take this breastplate of righteousness that's connected to the belt of truth to look more like Jesus, to march towards you, to angle ourselves so that the sun is in front of us and we're marching towards you so that anybody who's between anything, any cultural idea, anything in society that is between us and you will be blinded by the righteous, our righteousness and our right standing in you. That we can march towards you and shine your light into a world so that others can see and that we would blind the enemy and confuse the enemy. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.